chapter 9. And let's, uh, let's just give a, a, a hand to the Lord for that glorious worship. Amen? Like, praise God. Thank you, brother and sister, for leading us so well in that. And as we come to Acts chapter 6, we're, we're coming to a mountaintop of hope. Acts chapter 6. And I'm going to pray for us. I'm sorry, not Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 9. That's why I've got to read my notes, you know? Like, come on, Peter. All right. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your faithfulness, and I thank you for your word. Thank you that your word does not come back void, that you are faithful and you are true and you will not leave us and you will not forsake us. Lord, you'll never leave us on our own. If, you, if, we're, if we're yours, if we're in Christ, Lord, your promises are breaking over us. Your smile is on us. And Lord, you'll be with us even to the end of the age. Lord, you will lead us all the way home. And Lord, we thank you that we can stand with confidence today in the house of God, knowing whose we are if we're in Christ. That's an unshakable reality. But it took a miracle of grace. And so, Father, as we step in to Acts chapter 9, I pray that we would be stepping in with all our hearts. Lord, just open to hear what you have to say to us, Lord, that we would be open as the people of God. And if we're visiting today, Lord, that our hearts would be open to hear from not just the opinions of men, but the life-giving word of God. So we pray for your help and we pray for your encouragement in Jesus' precious holy name. Now, I'm going to start this service by reading to you our scripture reading from earlier that I skipped over because I think it's going to set the table for what I want to say today in Acts chapter 9. And this comes out of 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12 through 16. So I'm going to have that up on the screen. And I want you to be thinking about these words from a man called Paul, okay? And this is what he says as he looks back on his conversion. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. 
So right out the gate, Paul wants us to know that his life story and his conversion and what happened to him on the road to Damascus, what happened to him on the Damascus experience was meant to encourage you to believe, to encourage you. It was an example. It was a picture of amazing grace to point you to hope, to point you that you too, if Paul can get saved, you can get saved. If Paul can be awakened by grace, then you can be awakened by grace. And get this, anybody, anybody whom God sets his love and power and affection and supernatural work upon will be brought into the kingdom. That's what Paul's life's meant to tell us. Because we're going to see that Paul's conversion when he was a man called Saul on the road to Damascus is a picture of all of us. It's a picture of what we need to happen. It's a picture of hope. And one of the most penetrating insights that I read as I was studying this passage this week, and really this was born out of a prayer meeting uh, study, that the Lord just laid this word on my heart. But I read this statement by a man named John Stott, just a lucid, penetrating commentator. And he said, if we ask what caused Saul's conversion, only one answer is possible. What stands out from the narrative is the sovereign grace of God through Jesus Christ. Saul did not decide for Christ, as we might say. On the contrary, he was persecuting Christ. It was rather Christ who decided for him and intervened in his life. The evidence for this is indisputable. And I just read that and I was like, if, if Paul can do, or if God can do this in the life of a man called Saul, a religious terrorist breathing out threats against the church, going around hunting people down to arrest who believe in Jesus. And he can flip his life upside down and make him one of the foremost missionaries of the gospel. Then there is hope for every single one of us in this room. And that is what it means when we say amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That was penned by a man who was a notorious drunkard and a blasphemer. He was a sailor and the captain of a slave ship. And he made his livelihood by shipping people and selling them like cattle. And God got a hold of him and transformed his life. Now we're going to come back to the story of John Newton. 
But we need to understand that God is in the business of saving people like the Apostle Paul, who was once called Saul, and men like John Newton. And I can really identify with this story, right? Because I was just like that, running from God, hating Christians, mocking the faith, and then God grabbed a hold of me. But whether it happened like that for you, or whether the sovereign grace of God and the amazing grace of God laid hold of you when you were six years old and you heard a gospel word and you believed, it comes the same way. It's amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Because we are all wretches. And ultimately, as we come before this amazing passage in Acts chapter 9, I'm not going to read all of it. And there's too much to get into, but we're going to take little tastes of it so that we can taste and see the Lord is good. And the first thing I want us to see as we enter into this passage is amazing grace is necessary if anybody's to be saved at all. Amazing grace is necessary. Saul was an enemy of the gospel. And the Bible says all of us are before we're converted. All of us are children of wrath by nature. All of us are rebelling against God. We've all went our own way. Right? All we like sheep have went astray. Each of us to our own way. But the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's Isaiah 53. Speaking of the Messiah being crucified for us. Because we've all went astray. But look in Acts chapter 9 and we see a picture of Saul, an enemy of Christ, an enemy of the gospel. Verse 1, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound in Jerusalem. Those words should just like send a shudder through your soul. <laughs> because the one who wrote almost all of the New Testament, or a good majority, probably a third of it, Paul, that's what this verse is about, who he was before he becomes the Apostle Paul. He's breathing threats and he's breathing murder against the disciples of the Lord and he's hunting them down. And at this point in the book of Acts, this is like the reemergence of this man called Saul. Because we saw him back in chapter 7 and what do we see him doing but giving consent to the stoning of one of God's men. Giving consent to the stoning of of the first martyr of the church named Stephen. And it's like we need to get transported back there, right? We need to be transported back and understand that Stephen just preached an evangelistic Old Testament thunderclap, right? And preached the word. And then we read in Acts 7.54, Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, 
gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And then we read, listen to this. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. They laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul began his ministry of opposition to the church and opposition to the gospel and persecution of the Lord's people that day. And a man filled with the Holy Ghost was struck down, slain in the street by Saul. And the Apostle Paul, who was Saul at this point, does not stop there, but it provokes in him an outrageous tirade of persecution against the church. We read in Acts 8.1, and Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And what happens? And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And then you drop down to Acts chapter 8 and verse 3. And we see Saul again. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. So what are we seeing? We're seeing not only a man who approves of the execution of Christians, but a man who's instrumental in the greatest manhunt of Christians that the church has seen up until this point in the book of Acts. There is a turning point happening here where an assault on the people of God and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is being led by a man called Saul. And we see very quickly that amazing grace is necessary if Paul is to be saved. Because Saul is the prime mover and pawn of Satan to destroy the church. So I think of living in the day that we live in right now. How can we deal with the enemies of the gospel and those who hate Christianity? Right? We're living in a day where it's unpopular to be a Christian. We're living in a day where the crosshairs are coming uh, towards those who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and stand for biblical truth. So how do we deal with a situation that was much like the situation in the book of Acts? I don't think anything could be more relevant for Smithfield Baptist Church to hear today 
than how the church responds in a moment like this, when the culture is increasingly hostile to the church and to the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we respond? The answer is amazing grace must be preached. That's the second thing we see. Amazing grace must be preached. Amazing grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ needs to be heralded. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 8 in verse 4. Right after we see those verses on Saul and the persecution of the church, we see how the church responds. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the gospel of Christ. Do you see the church's response? They don't just scatter and run and hide, but they scatter proclaiming what? The word of God. They scatter heralding a message. They scatter in order to share Jesus with the world and in order to share Jesus and the truth about the amazing grace that Paul would talk about later. This saying is trustworthy and true. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I'm chief. So if the message doesn't get proclaimed, people like Saul don't get saved. If the message doesn't get heralded, you and I don't get saved. If the message is not proclaimed in the midst of adversity and cultural hostility and the climate in which we live where Christianity is in this melting pot where things are starting to get hot and the church is called to preach amazing grace into that and watch John Newton's get born again and watch Apostle Paul's get formed. That's what the text says. So the persecution of the Christian church ends up with this unintended effect of spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth, right? It spreads the gospel from Jerusalem and Judea all to Samaria. They were scattered about preaching the word. What did Jesus say in Acts 1.8? But this very thing. He said this was going to happen. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus foretold that this was going to happen. The church just did not realize that it would be through a mounting persecution like it had never seen. And God would use that. In order to spread his message into the known world. Think about how staggering that is. Like it's not going to take but one more chapter. For the devil's henchman. In the, in the man called Saul. The one ravaging the church. To get saved and become the foremost missionary of the gospel. A godless man into a godly man. A menace to the church and to a missionary of Jesus Christ. 
I mean, if there's anything that the book of Acts is screaming at us, it's that God knows how to do spiritual jujitsu on people that attack the gospel of Jesus Christ. He knows how to use what Satan means for evil for his good purposes in this world. And you better believe that in your life if you're a Christian. God will work for good all the horrible things that come into your life. That's Romans 8.28. That's what the book of Acts is teaching you too. This is just a account, a historical account of Romans 8.28 being fleshed out right before our eyes. So we need to be assured that the Lord can take the pawns of the devil and make them princes of preachers. Right? That's what he did with Paul. And that's what he can do in our lives. So we see that this man called Saul needs to have something dramatic, radical, and transforming to happen in his life in order to stop him cold. Because he's not changing for anybody. Which brings me to my third point. Amazing grace arrests our hearts. It stops us cold. It grips us. It captures us. It moves us. It, 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 it penetrates. It breaks in. And that's what we see as we come back to chapter 9. We see the life of Saul be upended. If you look at Acts 9 and verse 3, listen to what it says. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light shone from heaven around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. The men, uh, the, the men who are traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul arose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he, he was without sight. And neither ate nor drank. Did you see that? Verse 3 just lays on us that a divine, radiant light shines into Paul's life. Knocks him down to the ground. Right? This man is hardened and he is attacking and he is on his way to cause more trouble for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And a light shines on him and knocks him to the ground. The hater of God is humbled by the grace of God. And he hears the voice of the Lord Jesus saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Grace always shows us our sin. Grace always shows you your sin. Grace always shows you your need. Jesus is speaking to Saul and reminding him what he's doing. Later, Paul would say that Jesus, as he recalls this account later in the book of Acts, 
says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you kicking against the pricks? Why are you kicking against the goads? And he gave this image of oxen towing a cart. And often these powerful animals would just kick a, a cart behind them and just destroy it into a thousand pieces. And so farmers would begin to attach these spikes to the carts to protect the cart from the oxen's kicking. And as soon as that ox struck something sharp, it stopped what it was doing. And that is the picture Jesus lays on the Apostle Paul in this moment. Why are you fighting me? Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. You've been persecuting me. You've been, you've been persecuting my people. And I'm so united with my people. I'm so united that when you mess with them, you mess with me. They're in me. And Paul gets his first taste of what it means to be in Christ. When you're in Christ, it means all of his saving blessings, all of his protection, all of his love, all of his promises are true of you. You've been forgiven, you've been rescued, you've been renewed. And so Saul was learning that he was persecuting the Lord himself. Saul knew something was happening. He knew something was going on. He was being arrested. He was being moved. He was being struck by the power of God. And he was being helped to see his need. And perhaps you're in here today and you need to be brought to that very place. Maybe things have been happening to you to bring you to a place of, of, of looking up. To bring you to a place where you hear Jesus calling to you. Where you hear, hear him calling. Like, I'm, I'm wanting you. I'm calling you. I'm showing you your heart. And so Paul needs to hear from Jesus about how he has rebelled. And how he's been fighting the very Messiah. Now, if Paul knew back when he was Saul... That Jesus was the Messiah. He would have been flabbergasted. Paul had been waiting diligently for the Messiah. He thought he was fighting the Messiah's enemies in Christians. And it was actually the Messiah who had captured the hearts of all of these Christian witnesses and evangelists. And they were spreading the message of hope. That had been attended, or, or intended from long ago. And Paul realizes in this moment. That he's wrong before God. That what he thought was true. Wasn't really true. And he's getting sorted out in a moment. In this encounter. Have you ever had that happen to you? Like God just clarifies. He crystallizes. He shows you something. He shows you when you're amiss. He shows you when you're, you're off. He shows you when you're in darkness. He had to show Saul. And he has to show us. Anybody in here today who is a Christian had to come to terms with their darkness. And that's what we read earlier, right? That's what we read earlier when Paul as a mature believer, is recounting what happened to him. He says, though I 
formerly was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, I received mercy. And the grace of God overflowed for me with faith and love that, is, that are in Christ Jesus. And I want to tell you something that's faithful and true. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I'm the foremost. And Paul knew that if the church just understood, if God can save me, he can save anybody. If God can save somebody as messed up and as twisted as me, he can save you. And perhaps that's a word you need to hear today. You need to hear what Paul is saying to you on the road to Damascus. As he is struck down. As he's humbled. As he's blinded. And for the first time, he has to be carried into Damascus. He was coming proud and haughty, ready to do damage to the church. And now he's blind and humbled and has to be led by somebody else into the very city he was heading towards. And time is fleeting, or I would tell you, of the realities. And we read the realities of how God began to use Paul in so many different ways. It was scandalous that somebody like Paul would get saved. The church was afraid of him. At one point. I mean, we see it right in the next few verses. If you look at verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to a street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. And behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he may regain his sight. And listen to what Ananias says. But Ananias answers, Lord, I have heard from many about this man and how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much things he must suffer for the sake of my name. And then Ananias goes. He was afraid of Saul. And God said, no, that is my man. The person you would least expect. The enemy of the gospel becomes a friend of God and a friend of Christ. Isn't it just like the Lord to do that? It's just like the Lord to save the least likely person you would think of. And to take his message and to put his words in his mouth and send him out a bold preacher of the gospel. And so I wonder, you know, like, what does it take for a man to be approving one moment of the execution of one of God's men. And then in the twinkle of an eye. He becomes something entirely different. He becomes new. He becomes a new man. 
He becomes a forgiven man. He becomes a man who's been rescued by God because of amazing grace. Now listen, that's the gospel. If any of us are to be saved, that gospel has to be true. And maybe you're in here today and you're like, you know what? I'm living a double life. And the Lord's been putting his finger on that. And I just need rescue. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Maybe you're in here and you're swallowed up by an addiction. You feel like I cannot get out of it. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Maybe you're in here today and you're just paralyzed by fear and worry. And you feel so far from God. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Maybe you're in here today and you're like Paul and you're very religious, but you're religiously wrong. Maybe you've been dutifully trying to earn it on your own. That's what he was doing. He thought he could work his way to heaven. He ended up a murderer and a terrorist. And maybe you're finding your efforts to work your way to heaven are making you miserable. I want to say to you today, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. If you drop down to verse 20 of chapter 9, you'll see a man reborn. It says immediately, Paul, it says he, but immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. I love that. What music. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is this Not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. That's a man who experienced a miracle in his soul. And if you're in Christ today, you've experienced that miracle. And if you're still in your sins, you don't know anything about that miracle. But what I proclaim to you today is that that can happen in your life because of who Jesus is. That's how amazing he is. That's how good he is. The Greyhound ship was sailing in the midst of a tumultuous storm many years ago. The winds were approaching 80 miles an hour. The waves were 50 feet high, smashing against the boat. And a young man was holding on for dear life. Men were perishing. Sailors were perishing in the sea. And all this young man could think of was the judgment of God. And how he lived a blasphemous, vile life. He was a drunkard. 
and he was full of cruelty. And he transported men like cattle on these ships overseas. Slaves. But he himself was a slave of sin. And as he wrestled with the threat of the storm, something more powerful began to wrestle with him. Something more profound began to grip his heart. Something cataclysmic was happening in his soul. And he was realizing just as the waves were breaking over the boat. And the boat threatened to crack up and be tossed into the sea. His life was teetering over the judgment of God. And he might be swallowed up for all eternity. This man's name was John Newton. And on the bow of that boat, he was awakened by grace. And he remembered what his mom, this godly woman, used to teach him. Hymns and songs and stories from the word of God. And she died when he was seven years old. And that influence was gone from his life. But it He recalled it in this moment. In the middle of a storm where he thought this was it. And he remembered a text that he had been taught when he was young from Luke chapter 11 and verse 13. It read like this. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And John Newton in that moment said, that's a promise. I can stand that. And I'm going to trust the Lord in this moment. And he asked for forgiveness. And he asked for the Holy Spirit to come in his life. And he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And his chains were gone. He had been set free. He was a man who had been arrested by the grace of God. He's a man who experienced the freedom of forgiveness. And he would go on to pastor this little country church out in a place called Ulm, where hundreds of people would be ministered to by his kind words. He would become one of the kindest men the world has ever known. He was transformed. He'd have little children's Bible studies where he'd make little boats out of paper. And 200 children would come eventually to those Bible studies. Hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. This was a man who's touched all our lives because he penned the hymn Amazing Grace. And if you've not tasted that grace in Christ. I bid you to come to him now. Believe on the Lord. Don't let this moment go by. Hear the call of the good shepherd calling out to you. Come to him. And if you're in Christ, just be amazed at the glory of the grace of God that saved you. Saved a man like John Newton. Saved me saved any of us who are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.
for this glorious account of amazing grace. Lord, it's in scripture, it's in Christian history, and it's all our story if we're in Christ. Father, I pray for those, Lord, who maybe were in here and they needed a word about amazing grace today. And they have yet to receive that grace. I pray, Lord, that you would draw them in. And like John Newton, that they would just believe the word. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him shouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, that they'd say, I'm going to trust that. I'm going to lay hold of that. And Lord, if you're drawing them, that they would believe on you today. And come to you and experience that glorious grace. Father, we thank you. We pray that you would blow upon this time as we continue our worship. In Jesus' name.